Some of you only need to look across the dinner table to find your closest connection to agriculture. Others of us need to look a little further back to find our farming family. My name is Portia Stewart. All four of my great-grandparents were farmers. But by my grandfather's generation, only my grandfather was still in agriculture. Now, like many Americans, I have no more farmers in my family. This made me wonder, have consumers lost their connection to the land? And have farmers lost their connections with consumers? Let's see if we can make some new connections. Welcome to Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock podcast that connects the hearts and minds of producers and consumers to preserve our sustainable resources and provide high-quality food. start the show with Have You Heard, the latest in livestock news. Gen Z and millennial farmers and consumers may look different on the surface, but they both share some similar concerns, including the idea that farming is under threat and global food insecurity is likely within 20 years, according to the Future of Food and Farming study released by Corteva AgriScience. The study looked at these four themes. One, protecting the future of food. 89% of next-gen consumers and 73% of next-gen farmers agreed that they were concerned the world will not have enough food for its nutritional needs by 2040. 2. Ensuring the future of the farm. 91% of next-gen consumers and 87% of next-gen farmers agreed that consumers should be more involved in how their food is farmed. Number 3. Amplifying farmer-consumer voices and engagement. 89% of next-gen consumers and 93% of next-gen farmers agreed that the future of food and farming lies in the hands of today's young farmers and young consumers. And four, confronting climate change. 91% of next-gen consumers and 92% of next-gen farmers agreed that we don't have to choose between the environment and having enough food to eat. Gen Z and millennial farmers and consumers also both agree that a critical area for collaboration is to secure the long-term financial and sustainability of farms. And more than 90% agree that farmers will have to adopt innovative technologies and methods to succeed. To find the latest on sustainable food systems and conservation ag, visit agweb.com ACAM. Now it's time for Meet the Millennial, where millennials share what they eat and why they eat it. I'm joined today by Katie. Hi, Katie. Hey. How are you? Pretty good. It's a a little unusual time to be talking about what we eat because there's just a little less choice in the world. Tell me, what are your favorite foods? Well, I'm a big carbs fan, so... Me too. uh, As I've been home, I have experimented with baking my own bread and 
big sweets person also, so I've made a lot of brownies. Other than that, I don't know. I'm a big hamburger fan, too, so. So do you tend to be the person who is really about, like, oh, I want that, I want a lot of meat on my hamburger, or you like, do you like to dress it up, or what is that, what is a good hamburger? You know, I, uh, I like to add different things into my burger, be it, you know, spices, or sometimes I'll throw Dijon mustard in there. I'm weird. I don't like yellow mustard, but Dijon, for whatever reason, is okay, so I'll it's throw yummy. some of that in there while I'm cooking, but... Other than that, I'm really just the classic like hamburger, cheese, ketchup. You know, that's solid perfect. cheeseburger. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, are you swayed at all by food trends? I'd say not really. Mostly what I like to do is just try and eat, you know, whole foods in their form. So looking at what just makes me feel good and, you know, the quality of the product but also the just that it looks fresh and good and I really shop for myself I'm not necessarily influenced by what the hottest new craze is or things like that when you um when you go on a a specific diet are there any ones that you found that you really like or things that you have been uh, drawn to to try I did try paleo for a little bit and, you know, it was kind of modified. Like, like I said, I have a big sweet tooth. So um, I did still allow a little bit of the sweets that would not be on the strictest paleo. But I did like it because it really made me think about um, what I was eating and um, kind of cutting out some of those things like junk, more junk food items because mm-hmm. I, I do tend to snack and... Um, so if I just didn't buy it, the option wasn't there, and it really and I I really liked the emphasis on just simple things that are good for you and make you feel better. And I really did feel better when I was eating that way before I added some of the like more processed stuff back in. So I don't strictly follow it anymore, but I do try to not to eat like stuff out of a box as much. What do you need to know about your food to feel comfortable with it? Are you swayed at all by labels or are you reading the ingredients list? Or are you more of a farmer's market shopper? Mm-hmm. Um, I do a little bit of both. Uh, I, for one thing, I just go to, I go to a store that I trust. Um, like for me, I mean, it's not a big deal, but I just go to Hy-Vee. Um, and knowing that, you know, that they're a company that, you know, you can, I don't know, like they have values that they stand up for in their community. So even though they are a larger chain, I do like to shop there and know that I can find good quality products and that if there's an issue in the store, they respond and care about their customers. But I really do love going to the farmer's market as well. And, you know, finding the stuff that was grown in my area and I can talk to the people that created the either the meat or the fruit or whatever it may be. So I do a little bit of both. And that may look a little bit different this year. I do know one of the farmer's markets near me, they are doing a drive-through option right now. Oh, wow. They drive up and down aisles. It just started this week. Um, So I have not tried it out yet, but that's one of the things that I love to do on the weekends in the summer. So 
I probably will check it out just because it's something that makes me happy. One last question, Katie. Are you eating any differently now that it's a a little, um, it's a different experience going to the store and, and getting food? Yeah, so I've been a lot more conscious about food waste Mm -hmm. and not let, you know, I live by myself. So generally what I'll do is buy, you know, a pound or two of something and make a big batch, um, either a casserole or a bunch of hamburgers and then just eat them kind of day by day. Right. Uh, And I used to get to the point where it's the end of the week and I'm like, "Eh, I'm kind of tired of that. Um, I, I can go out or whatever it may be. And I didn't really feel bad, like, I was wasting, so I would waste more for this, but I've been really careful, you know, to try and eat everything, no matter what, and am eating out less, but as, you know, the situation has changed, my grocery store that I go to is bigger, so I haven't necessarily seen as much of a shortage. Initially, there was kind of a shortage of meat, but since then, they've been totally stocked, so... You know, I've bought a couple extra packages of things to throw in my freezer, but not really as much. Like, I didn't buy an entire case of something. Um, But I do have more food on hand than I typically would because I'm trying to shop, you know, go out less and eat all of what I've purchased. Is there anything you're really missing in this this sort of gap? I say one thing I'm really craving is pizza. (laughs) I have... I have an okay, like I have a pizza stone and I can make an okay pizza at home, but like a really crispy thin crust pizza is what I'm craving. And I know I could go out like a lot of places are doing to go. I just haven't been doing that. So It's funny you should say that. We were, we've been, you know, flour has been one of those things that's a little harder to get. And um, I got this flour, not realizing it was Italian flour, which I guess is different. It's the double zero I think and it's super fine and it just um so we made up pizza dough this weekend and it was just beautiful and I was like I did this was an experience I didn't realize is that you 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 really I mean you know anecdotally with bread bread flour versus and you know we've been cooking a little bit with wheat flour because we have more of that around but it was amazing it was really interesting to see how that performed differently Mm -hmm. that's cool any uh, any other things you're making that you're not normally making? Well, I've made banana bread twice. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that's a trend. <laughs> Have um, you seen that? I've, on the internet, they say that a lot of people are making banana bread. Yeah. Uh, I've really perfected, so I've made tacos a couple times, and then um, because I'm home, working from home, I am making lunch now, like actually cooking lunch instead of just grabbing, you know, a can of soup or a salad or something that I could eat at my desk when I was going to the office. So I've perfected my quesadilla recipe awesome. also, which is just not something I would normally do in the day. But instead of having left, you know, I had leftover taco meat, I was like, I can make that in a quesadilla. So also kind of employing a little bit of the, like, I made the, made one thing, but then using it in a couple different ways. Um, so I guess that's another way that my habits have changed a little bit. A lot more repurposing, right? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think we're all getting a little more imaginative. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, no problem. Now it's time for the main dish. I'm joined now by Jennifer Scheich, editor of Farm Journal's Pork, and Greg Henderson, editorial director of Grover's. Hi, guys. 
Hi, Portia. Hey. So uh, we're really here today to talk a little bit about what's going on um, in protein and what's happening, the latest in the meat packing plants. What is the latest that you guys are hearing? Well, the latest thing today is that uh, President Trump has signed an executive order uh, mandating that the packing protein facilities, including uh, beef, pork, and egg facilities, uh, remain open. And a couple of the things that this executive order will do is give packing plants some uh, protections from liabilities from workers that may get sick from the coronavirus. Um, also, they uh, are wanting to implement more staggered uh, employee reporting to work times and also uh, requesting overnight shifts. So they're asking for changes to try and make things safer for the workers, but at the same time, he's declared it uh, an essential infrastructure that needs to stay open. And what is the first response you're hearing? The first response from the two unions, the United uh, Food and Commercial Workers Union, which is the largest union, um, and basically you, it, it's around worker safety. They're urging the president and the companies to do everything they can to make sure that the workers are safe first. Uh, they agree that the food su uh, supply, uh, food security is, is very important, but uh, they're worker advocates, and that's what they're doing. And they're, you know, they're doing what, what their producers um, are paying for. So, right, right. One of the things that we have talked a lot about is all of the misinformation and the rumors that are going around. Um, where are the places that we really need to set the record straight? Right. Okay. So, um, I, I'll speak with the beef side specifically, and and. Uh, First, we, we talk about, I know there's been uh, some talk about euthanasia, for example. We are a long way from having to euthanize any animals on the beef side. Um, things would have to get dramatically worse before that uh, even becomes a remote possibility. Um, latest I've heard is that the packing plants are running um, over 50% capacity right now, which yeah, that's a huge drop. But at the same time, there are adjustments being made, and I think the, uh, the, the packers are doing all they can uh, under admittedly strange circumstances. So, um, but it is, even if we open up tomorrow to all the plants running full tilt, it's going to be at least two or three weeks before we get rid of, of all of the repercussions that, that come. And if this goes on another two or three weeks, it's going to be months before we uh, can get past this. You know, from a pork industry standpoint, we're already um, kind of at that tipping point where many of our producers are kind of at that end of that two to three week, you know, flux period that they had with many of their market ready hogs. And so euthanasia is something that the pork industry is, is taking a very hard look at, um, at this point, the reports are still that while it is happening, they don't think it's a widespread um, occurrence yet because producers are looking for any options that they have to basically either slow down growth um, through diets, move pigs outdoors is something that I've been talking with people about today. Um, 
obviously our modern pork operations aren't set up that way. So that requires a lot of, of work to kind of reconfigure. But again, our producers are doing whatever they can to avoid euthanasia. But the reality is, is that there's nowhere for some of these animals to go. And it's a last resort from an animal welfare standpoint. Um, we have to do whatever we can to protect our animals. And so um, if we have to initiate euthanasia because the animal welfare has declined so much because of our limited building space, then that's the right thing that producers need to do. Right. I think another point that needs to be made, and, and this can uh, be for beef or pork packers, and there's a lot of conversation about the excessive profits that they have made. Uh, at the same time, producers are uh, losing money um, maybe having to euthanize some animals. Um, it's a strong financial hit to cattlemen and pork producers. And admittedly, those packer profits have been huge. Um, the numbers that you're seeing do not take into account the, the added cost that packers have seen over these last six weeks. Um, right. With with uh, slowdowns and um, you know more, they've, they've had to add things to their plant, the, the safety precautions, so forth and so on. I don't know what those costs are. I know they're higher. So uh, there's a lot of uh, chatter about the packer, packer profits, which again, they are pretty large, but they're not without some extra costs that are coming with this too. Right. Another area that, you know, Greg and I have been discussing earlier when it comes to some misinformation that we've been hearing is, you know, you do see the stories where there are workers being quoted for, you know, that they're concerned and scared about going to work. But we're also hearing a lot of stories of, of workers that are, you know, knocking on doors of, of pig operations trying to figure out how they can work because they want to work. They don't want to, to stay at home and draw unemployment and, um, you know, those packing plants offer offer great community for their workers. And I think that to say that they all are scared to go to work is an exaggeration. I think many of them want to get back to work. Right. And they have families to feed and they want the security for their job. And I, Which brings up another um, rumor, and that is that these plant workers are, are you know, staying at home collecting unemployment. And that's just not the case. Um, you know, unemployment doesn't begin to, to cover what they would be making. Um, and many times, as we know, these, these workers uh, are the only one in a family that is working. Right. And so they, for the most part, are family people and, and they need that job. And I think the loyalty is higher than we give them credit for many times. Greg, I know you recently reported uh, on how the state of Kansas was responding to try to keep their packing plants open. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So packing industry is extremely important to Kansas. 22% uh, of the nation's beef is, is processed in Kansas in, in uh, four big plants in western Kansas and one smaller plant in, in southeast Kansas. Um, to to help the companies, Tyson, Cargill, um, National, which have plants there, they have looked at 
um, using vacant state-owned facilities to quarantine positive uh, coronavirus workers, uh, such as community colleges and so forth. And this has involved the governor of Kansas, the secretary of uh, agriculture for Kansas, and even the CDC has stepped in and helped them. Um, I, I don't think all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed on this yet, but those plans are being made. And I think you'll see some uh, probably unique um, programs come out of Kansas to, to help isolate those workers and keep them away from their families at home and also keep them away from other workers at the plants. Right. Obviously, this is causing some stress for producers, Jennifer. I know that you've been looking into this, but what advice have you heard to help manage the uh, that, that sort of pressure that they're feeling right now? Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, when you start to talk about um, looking for warning signs in your friends and in yourselves when it comes to how you're handling stress, um, the ways that we normally do that are not available to us like they used to be. You know, checking in for social withdrawal is some one of the biggest signs. The reality is, is that nobody's going to the diner on, on Tuesday and sitting down at the table, so you can't see who's there and who's not. Um, you're not able to, to see who shows up at church or who's going to the feed store and, and visiting. So there's just differences in how we check in on each other. And so I think one of the, the biggest things I'm hearing is, is that We've got to exhaust the options that we have. So whether that's phone, social media, texting, whatever it may be. Um, and in some cases, maybe it is stopping at somebody's place and checking in and maintaining social distancing. But we've got to, we've got to check in on each other. Nobody is alone in this situation. And so one of the um, concerns that um, was brought up today in an interview was that when people think they're alone and that nobody else is experiencing what they are, then that's a sure sign that they need to either reach out for some help, or if that's happening to one of your friends, that you need to step in and start helping them talk through that process a little bit. Um, these are definitely times that we're all in this together, and we really need each other. And so the recommendation is that we find ways to connect bigger than we ever have before, and that we look for ways to think more about others than ourselves in this situation. Yeah. One last question for both of you. Uh, we're hearing a lot of people speculate that this will change the way producers operate in the future, as well as potentially consumer purchasing behaviors. What could the future look like? Would you like for me to go first? Go ahead, Greg. Um, there's a lot of proposals in front of the beef industry right now, many of them market related there are suggestions that changes need to be made to the CME cattle futures contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, there is questions about how fed cattle are marketed and there are uh, people who are advocating for more negotiated cash trade as opposed to uh, so much formula trading. I think some of these things are going to get at least some tweaking, if not an overhaul. I think uh, there are enough people that are uh, convinced that the market is not um, working appropriately, especially for producers. So I think, I think we will see some marketing changes. Um, 
not going to happen overnight. It's going to be two or three years down the road before everybody agrees to all of them and, and they get implemented. I think you'll find changes to labels on, on beef packages. Right. Um, I think there's more concern about food safety and security and how the product was produced. And I think we'll come out of this and, and realize that more people are cooking at home now. And I think that quality and food safety will be even more important to those people that cook at home. Um, and again, I believe this whole episode with the coronavirus will uh, push traceability in the beef system um, and probably will be demanded by our customers, which, which are, you know, consumers, retailers, and beef packers. I think, um, I think it's just inevitable that it's coming. Right. You know, going into this, the swine industry was already up against quite a few labor challenges, you know, not enough labor on the farm, not enough labor in the plants. And I think that um, this situation has just been a huge reminder to us of how important it is to take care of the employees that we have and and how we can build that base larger in the future. Um, you know, I've heard some some different companies talk about the reality that they can't keep up with like hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipe sales and so forth, you know, that they'll never be able to, to meet that demand that's there um, right now. And so I think it's interesting to think about how they may change some, some processes and procedures on the farm. I believe that America's pig farmers are some of the best when it comes to biosecurity and they were prepared for how to take care of their employees when um, COVID hit. But I think it also reinforces that we can't take those people for granted and how important each person is in the system. So I also think there could be some changes in how we, we train people, too, to be able to handle um, maybe not quite as many jobs, but maybe more specific jobs. So if people need to be subbed in and subbed out on those production lines and the plants, that's a little bit easier. Um, quite a few labor things come to my mind when I think about what the future will look like. So you can find the latest COVID-19 coverage at workbusiness.com and rovers.com. Thank you both. Thanks for joining us today on Overheard. You can find our complete coronavirus coverage at agweb.com slash coronavirus. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please like us and give us a five-star rating. And if you want to talk back to us, feel free to email us at editors at farmjournal.com. We'll see you next time on Overheard.